The Guardian. Hello, I'm John Plunkett and welcome to Media Talk. On this week's show, we talk press regulation as the Royal Charter finally becomes reality. For the first time ever, Skype is available pay as you go and can be streamed to loads of devices. We find out why you no longer need a dish to watch Game of Thrones and do so legally. We ask, what's Grant Shapp's beef with the BBC? And we talk that Prince Harry joke on Have I Got News For You? This is Media Talk from The Guardian. Well, here on this week's programme, we thought we'd try out a new kind of stereo sound that Radio 2 accidentally tried at the weekend. You might remember that they got rather confused by the clocks going back and uh, pretty summertime morphing into Greenwich Mean Time. That all meant that two different parts of Bob Harris's programme went out at the same time. It was all a bit of a disaster. But unlike us, we managed to stop it after a few seconds. The gaff on Radio 2 went on for more than 20 minutes. It's good to know that the staff listened to their own station. Mm. Anyway, enough of Radio 2. 15 million listeners a week. And let's get on with our programme. Almost as many as 15 million listeners a week. And joining me in the studio are Professor Roy Greenslade of City University and columnist with The Guardian and London Evening Standard. And a man with slightly less grand a title, TV and reviews editor for Heat magazine, Mr Boyd Hilton. Thank you. Boyd, if you could pick a title for yourself, what would you go for? Professor, doctor, flight lieutenant? I hope one day I'll be a professor, yeah. There is, a prof- of course, Professor Boyd Hilton of history who was on Melvin Bragg's Radio 4 show last week. And I got a lot of tweets from people saying that my discussion of the Corn Laws was very informative. Unfortunately, he's, he's an imposter. Impressed by your range. Yeah. Yeah. And we look forward to Corn, corn Laws in next week's heat. Absolutely. Uh, later on in the programme, we'll be joined by The Guardian's TV critic, Sam Wollaston. Rebecca Nicholson is away this week. But first up, we're going to start with press regulation and the latest chapter in the saga to find a post-Leveson successor to the Press Complaints Commission. It's the latest chapter, needless to say, in what is turning into a very long book. This week was all about the Royal Charter, uh, which was given the Queen's seal of approval and, it would appear, will pave the way for a new system of regulation of newspapers. It was good news for the politicians who backed the Charter, and that's most of them, but bad news for newspapers who failed in a High Court bid to stop it becoming reality. The next day's editorial in the papers said it was the end of 300 years of press freedom and newspapers have vowed to boycott the new system and set up on their own. But whatever happens, there won't be a new regulator until at least 2015. So in the meantime, the much maligned Press Complaints Commission trundles on. Um, Roy, it felt like a landmark this week, but on the other hand, it felt like this is still going to run and run and run. Yeah, it's a long saga, isn't it? And it will go on. Um, It's extraordinary, actually. Ever since the Leveson inquiry was instituted, there has not been one complaint about the Press Complaints Commission. It's extraordinary. It's lost several of its staff, lost its director, but it trundles on there doing the work that it's always been doing. Uh, And in many ways, I guess the papers would be able to point to that as as a plus. But we would also say perhaps papers have been a little more wary of doing anything which would... Um, cause more ripples than they've already caused. Now, the situation is this. You're going to have a royal charter which says, um, lays down a whole set of ground rules for the creation of a new regulator. Meanwhile, on the other side, the publishers have set up their new regulator, which doesn't in any way gel with what the royal charter says. So we have here Parliament versus the press, Westminster versus Fleet Street, and if you wanted to personalise it, Cameron, Clegg and Miliband on one side and Dacre, Murdoch and um, uh, other editors on the other. So um, you have parallel organisations. 
going forward with the possibility that absolutely no publisher, no magazine publisher, no regional publisher, no national publisher will actually sign up to the charter. So it's the will of Parliament against the power of the press. So the politicians are further down the line, but if they haven't got the newspapers on side, then surely it counts for nothing. It, it doesn't really, and I think this is the great difficulty. We, we know that the big incentive, uh, the, the stick rather than the carrot, which uh, Leveson offered, was this. If you stay outside of this new regime, then judges, when you are facing a libel or privacy hearing, may award exemplary damages against you. Similarly, it may be possible that when you face a libel action from somebody, even if they lose, you will need to pick up their costs. Now, this is a big, big stick for publishers. But will it, to continue and misuse the... Will it stick? Will it actually work? I think publishers, the instant anything like that happened, would appeal to the European court. So I think what we have opened up, in fact, which is the very thing no one wanted, is a huge amount of possibilities for lawyers to make a great deal of money in the next coming, coming years. It was, it was ever thus. Uh, and and Roy, Roy, just finally on, on this point, can you boil it down for the layman uh, in layman's terms? What is the point about the Royal Charter as approved this week that the newspapers have such a problem with? Oh, well, I think they have a particular problem. They're central problem. There are small ones which are, uh, easily could be ironed out. The central problem is this, that the Royal Charter can be amended by a two-thirds majority in Parliament. Uh, now, that sounds unlikely, but if you get a big fuss, if you've got a big story, say we uh, in The Guardian were to publish uh, uh, secrets that the state believed would threaten national security, then Parliament could get up and in no time at all make a big amendment to the Royal Charter to prevent it happening. Say the great saga that happened to the poor McCann family and the way they were treated or Chris Jeffries were treated, again, politicians could rise up and you could get more than a two-thirds majority in no trouble at all. So they could change the charter and indeed legislate therefore against the press so their feeling is their belief is um, the publishers that um, it gives parliament ultimate power over the press and that's why you hear this phrase time after time after time reminding you of 1644 that we've had 300 years of a free press supposedly um, and therefore that is threatened by this particular kind of charter Boyd, what have you made of this sort of, a, it's almost a soap opera, this a stumbling attempt to get a successor. A and, and what adds to the soap opera element is stuff like, um, you know, Steve Coogan writing um, very angry pieces um, aimed at David Mitchell's column in The Observer, for example, a, a kind of, you know, com- comedians fighting against each other about this issue. Um, it's fascinating. And I think, I mean, I'm interested in listening to Roy, I would still feel slightly unclear. I always I have felt slightly unclear on certain key points. For example, the, the hacked-off um, brigade are always saying that the, this threat um, about freedom of speech is, incre- is grotesquely... In fact, they're furious about the level to which the newspapers exaggerate this. And they say that the, the Charter is only... Isn't, their, their point is the Charter is only designed to set up the recognition body of the, of the eventual regulator. So aren't they, their claim seems to be that actually it's all one step removed from, and, and that actually for the politicians, for even that two-thirds majority of the par- parliament to suddenly change things. They, even then, they couldn't actually interfere with yeah. the press, which seems I, a I, fair point to I, me. Boyd, I think that's a really a good point. I mean, I think Hacktoff's position is that what we, it, what we wanted to do was underpin the recognition body which will oversee 
the eventual regulator. And that even if you were to amend the charter, you wouldn't be amending the charter to do anything other than make sure that the recognition body was doing its job. That you wouldn't change the charter to say, you can't publish that story or you mustn't do that. So uh, as far as Hacktoff are concerned and their supporters, and there are uh, several of them, they believe publishers have grotesquely misrepresented what's at hand here. I think if I was to just put my position here, yeah. which, by the I, way, I happens, know, ask, happens yeah. to be the Guardian's position, yeah. which is that we should never have used this particular archaic right. medieval uh, instrument to actually bring this about. Leveson never recommended it. It's not there. It was a wheeze dreamed up by Oliver Letwin, the cabinet office uh, secretary on behalf of David Cameron and it seemed at the time and even I thought it oh that's quite a clever idea Mm. but once you actually see what it involved and the Queen signing this and the fact it's done in secret and the fact that it still involves sitting politicians which I never really realized they controlled the Privy Council then you realize gosh we didn't need to go that route and that I think is problematic. It does seem wrong and my other question I have one more question about this is which is from the um, from the other point of view from you know the people complaining about the um, the the press's version of a regulator, what is it about their version? Is it that is the key from the, from, from the politicians and, and I guess Hackdoff's point of view? Is it that their version doesn't have any way of dealing with the Richard Desmond issue? That what if what if one of the, the press managers just decides they're not going to take part? What is in their version of a regulator? What happens then? No, in, in fact, uh, that wouldn't be true. Oh, okay. they, have a, they have a contractual. Uh, uh, theirs is you sign up by contract, right? And you can't easily backslide oh, okay. on that. So that's not their main problem. Right. The main problem is that they wish to have some control over this regulator uh, and that the reason Hacktoff are so disappointed with their version and couldn't even move close to it is that they will still have the commanding heights okay. of, the, of, of most of the bodies concerned. The publisher's response to that is, no, 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 we're, we're still going to be thoroughly independent, but if we're going to fund it, we want at least control over uh, a great deal of it. It's our money that we'll be spending. So, you know, I still feel uh, that the government went about this the wrong way. Once they got the Royal Charter idea, they dropped the idea, which was very necessary in my view, to get everyone round a table. If they'd got hacked off around the table with the publishers, I believe they could have ironed this out. But now they're so far apart it can't happen. Well, what, what happens next? I don't think anyone knows what happens next. I noticed in the Daily Mail leader uh, that they were uncertain uh, what, what happens. We're in um, totally new territory. We, we've never been in a situation in which there's been a royal charter, which everyone simply ignores. Um, and, and at the moment, it, it's hard to see where it goes. But I think we need an event. We need a major court case uh, to kick off or a big story, a feeding frenzy story, Uh, in which people start questioning whether or not the press have behaved rightly or not. Uh, And I think that that will make the big difference. Or, of course, uh, we need something which will make politicians react in a bad way if we discover more stories of the nature of their expenses, for instance. Okay. well, also this week, uh, sticking with the issue of press freedom, David Cameron warned the press uh, off revealing any more information from the leaked NSA files. He referred to the possible use of what he called D-notices and high court injunctions to prevent disclosure of information that could damage national security, he said. He said if newspapers don't demonstrate some sort of social responsibility, it will be very difficult for the government to stand back and not to act. To which uh, critics might reply, depends what you mean by social responsibility. R- Roy, you were pretty withering about this on your uh, your blog on the Media Guardian. Well, I thought the Prime Minister ought to know how DA notices work, not D notices. We haven't called them that since uh, ni- early 1990s. 
Um, DA means Defence Advisory Notice, and that's the whole point. They are advisory notices to editors. You can't use them against editors, as he suggested he would. By the way, it's run by a separate committee. That committee is run by um, an Air Vice Marshal. He used to be a Rear Admiral. Uh, an Air Vice Marshal, a nice chap, Andrew Valance, who happens to be the editor of his own parish magazine by chance, so he's an editor as well. It's also peopled by many people from our industry. Um, the government go to them, or government department goes to them, and says, look, this appears to be sensitive. Can you send out an advisory notice to editors? And then it's purely up to editors, this is the whole point of press freedom, for them to make up their mind whether they go with it or not. And it would appear to me that back in June, The Guardian already said, thanks for your advisory notice, but we believe we're publishing in the public interest, and that's what we're going to do. Finally, on, on press, um, uh, Alexander Lebedev, of course, the owner of The Independent and The, and the London Evening Standard, he said, um, well, he said a campaign out to destroy him in, in Russia had left him with um, some potato and, and a cereal production business. Uh, he said, what he's saying is he's sort of fallen on hard times. It's, it's all relative, of course. He's still a very wealthy man. But this could have interesting implications for his, for his newspaper business in the UK. Well, I think he also said, did he not, that you know, he, he wasn't making enough profit to easily fund his newspapers. But I think he might be slightly disingenuous because he hasn't mentioned the fact that he's also pretty big in banking, pretty big in uh, aircraft leasing. Uh, and uh, owns a significant slice of the major uh, Russian uh, airline Aeroflot. So, um, as you say, he's not down right to the end. But I think he's given hints in the past um, that that this pit uh, is not bottomless and the independent is eating up a huge amount of money. I think that it is true that he has been under pressure. I think there has been a conspiracy against him. I think he rightly reflects that. Um, and it must be worrying that this money is leaking away, especially when they're now spending a great deal of money to launch local TV in London, which is also eaten into their resources. But I think uh, the independents are safe in his hands for the moment anyway. And he starts his community service this week, does he, or next week, very soon? Yeah, sweeping up or or washing, I don't know what it's going to involve. This is over his supposed hooliganism when he punched um, uh, that chap here on the TV rather inadvisedly, but he said he was roused to do so. Okay, Roy, well, thanks very much. You can keep up with all the latest on the NSA revelations, whether the press do indeed sign up for the Royal Charter. And also, of course, Roy mentioned uh, a big court case. You can follow the uh, the phone hacking trial, of course, which started this week on theguardian.com slash media. Okay, well, let's look at what else has been making the news in media this week. Boyd is still with me, and I'm delighted to say I've been joined by Sam. In an interview with the Sunday Telegraph, the Conservative chairman Grant Shapps raised the prospect of a licence fee cut for the BBC. He said the corporation must tackle a culture of secrecy and waste in the wake of the Jimmy Savile and Stuart Hall scandals and pointed to rows over star salaries and payoffs to senior executives. Well, on Andrew Marr's show on BBC One on Sunday morning, Labour's deputy leader Harriet Harman had her say. What he's doing is he's complaining about the BBC using the fact that we're heading into charter review and licence fee review in order to to put pressure on the BBC because the Conservatives are trying to somehow blame the BBC for the fact that they're having to report that the government is actually not succeeding. Boyd, start off with you. In one sense, it's a now traditional government attack on the BBC in the run-up to licence renewal, but what what did you make of what Shapps had to say? Uh, I thought it was moronic in the extreme. Um, He later tried to backtrack, didn't he? He tried to say, I I saw him tweeting to someone saying, I wasn't actually saying the BBC was biased in any way. So he was was focusing on the Jimmy Savile thing and transparency, all these vague, kind of rather woolly terms. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, the Jimmy Savile thing was a complete one-off, you know, absolutely bizarre situation that... 
you know, for all kinds of reasons happened within the walls of the BBC, a lot of it. But how can you possibly judge, you know, the BBC as it exists now based on that? It seems extraordinary to me. that, that It seems completely irrelevant, basically, as far as I'm concerned. I think for a politician in this position to even use that as, as a stick with which to be the BBC. And then to talk talking about how we might have to reduce the licence fee, we might have to slice it off and give it to other... All of it is ridiculous. You know, that, this is the classic case of a nonsensical Tory attack on the BBC. Because for, for populist reasons, they think it's popular for people to attack the BBC, the same way the Daily Mail does and the Sun does and all of that. I thought it was ludicrous. Lots of people on Twitter, as soon as he, this happened, were having a go at him quite rightly for his various different nom de plumes and... And uh, yes, but I mean, I think the one thing you can criticise the BBC for is is the executive pay. That issue is hugely embarrassing and and was was ridiculous. The extent to which they paid people off, top executive, and there are too many, and all of that. But that's the one thing. Every, kind of everyone, even most of the BBC, are agreed that that's preposterous. But everything else is just woolly nonsense. Well, in other news this week, Sky announced a beefed-up version of its Now TV offering. Um, now TV is not a spin-off of uh, a fascinating weekly gossip, Mac. Uh, but thank you very much. Previously, it was limited to new. Uh, it was limited to the films and sport, where you could sign up for a day or I think a month without having to get a subscription or, or a dish. Just get it over the uh, the magic of Wi-Fi. Uh, but now it's offering up its entertainment channels as well. Ten of them, in fact, including Sky One and Sky Atlantic, which you can get for an introductory price. Uh, Asterix will end in April of uh, four ninety nine a month. <laughs> And this is quite a this is quite a change in position, Boyd, isn't it for for Sky? Yeah, I think it is, and I think um, I think it's partly down to um, Netflix and Love Film and all of those people that are offering their TV things, like you know, obviously Breaking Bad, everyone's favorite, The Guardian's favorite show, and, and mine too. Um, you can see on Netflix here. You can only see on Netflix here, really. And um, I think it makes sense for Sky. The other big problem for their for their shows, like particularly Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones is the most illegally downloaded show in the world. So, you know, as soon as it arrives, um, half the country's, um, you know, kids and adults are, are, are going to illegally download. And my theory about illegally downloading is it, a lot of it isn't necessarily to do with getting stuff for free. It's because as soon as stuff arrives on TV in America, fans of these shows want to see it immediately. And, they, and loads of people don't have Sky Atlantic. So I think this is a quite good way of countering that. And I do think a lot of people will be attracted by the idea that you can just go pay for one day of Sky Atlantic get your Game of Thrones every week for a certain amount of money in HD, full HD, wash it on your iPad and all that. I think, it will, I think it's a big thing for Sky. Do you think young people are going to actually pay 4 99 when they can get exactly the same thing for free? I think, I think you'd be surprised. I mean, not all of them. I'm not saying all of them will suddenly stop illegally downloading, but I know a lot of adults, I think mainly adults, yeah. who illegally download stuff, you yeah. know. You know, they're all their favourite shows, if they can't get access to their favourite shows as soon as they arrive in America, they get annoyed and they, and they do resort to illegal downloading. If Sky's going to make it available pretty much instantly via this Now TV service, I you think you'd pay for it, yeah. I think most, so I think it might not affect the kids, but um, grown adults, I think, do feel guilty about illegal downloading. They just do it because they want to see the shows. It is mainly about Game of Thrones, this one, isn't it? You get Sky Arts and things, but it's not going to be for that that people get this. It's going to be for, it's going to be for the big shows like Game of Thrones. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's aimed very, very squarely at Netflix, obviously. Yeah, that's right. It's, uh, and Netflix has got a huge archive, but it hasn't got new shows coming on there every week. You know, they, they, no. they commission House of Cards, but they, they, you yeah. know, that's a drop. Uh, well, every now and again, then they've not got a linear schedule. That no, no. Well, Netflix's big kind of gimmick is that they're commissioning their, apart from having um, back back series of, of shows like Breaking Bad, is to have they're commissioning their own series, and they're doing they're going to commission three or four a year, I think, from now on, including you know the next series of House of Cards and Orange Orange is the New Black, which is a great show. But they show them all, they dump them all, in one, in one, all at the same time, 13, 20 episodes, however. That's their big gimmick. But I think 
you know, if Sky can show... Sky's thing is we'll show Game of Thrones every week or whatever, or Mad Men or whatever, but it's still that easy access to it almost as soon as it's gone out in the States. That is very attractive as well. And I think it'll be an interesting test to the idea that the important thing for Netflix isn't actually, for me, that you can see it all in one go. It's actually just being able to see it at all. It's and an Netflix. interesting decision to, to dump it all in one go, isn't it? And yeah. you don't get that kind of, you know, that, that, that Twitter storm when a, no. when, a, when a program goes out, which has now become important again, yeah. the, the, the event TV, which, yeah. which you, you do get from, from oh, yeah. you will get from, from... I think they're making slightly too much of the dumping. I think they, they're making that, that. It's their USP, and it's exciting. But actually, I think, you know, in certain examples, um, Arrested Development, they pulled all of that out in one go. It was too, no one wants to sit through, you know, frankly... You know, all those episodes of an entire series of that show, it just didn't work. And actually, it kind of almost harmed the reputation of it because people, we needed to see those episodes individually um, as different episodes of that show. So I think that gimmick is slightly overplayed by Netflix, I have to say. Next up, it's time to turn our attention to the Taste Police. Uh, now, they, uh, they've been out in force uh, twice this week, two calls for the, uh, the Blues and Twos. Uh, first up, there was a, uh, a, a well, let's, uh, let's hear the joke, shall we? This was Joe Brand on Have I Got News For You last Friday. There we go. This is indeed the royal christening of Prince George. George's godparents include Hugh Van Cutsum, I presume that's a nickname, as in Hugh Van Cutsum and Harry then Snortsum. <laughs> Have we lost the lawyers? Now, go on then. Uh, right or wrong, Sam, you're the judge and boys the jury. Don't know how that works, but you, you first, Sam. I think uh, a very funny joke for a start, and, and uh, I think you can get away with a lot more if it is actually a genuinely funny joke. Obviously, it's about the royal family. They took a call that no one from the royal family is going to sue them. Um, would who would be offended by it? Would Prince Harry? I don't think Prince Harry would have minded it. I think he might have found it quite funny. I found it funny. I'm fine with it. Thumbs up from uh, Judge Williston. Big, <coughs> big over, thumbs up over to the foreman of the jury. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the joke. It was a joke, first of all. So you clearly not saying, in all seriousness, any any reference to actual drug taking by a member <laughs> of the royal family. It was clearly a joke, and that's that's a key fact. Um, I, I did. It did. Amu- interestingly, uh, I tried to watch this because I because I missed Have I Gone to on Friday, and um, so I didn't actually see it. And I tried to watch it on via the BBC Play, and it's not wasn't there last time I looked. It Ooh. wasn't there, which I consider to be deeply suspicious. So even though the BBC's backing did come out quite rightly, thank God the BBC came out and said we've got we're backing Joe Brown. Of course, you know. It's all her fault. They gave her the script to read, the yeah, producers of... She was like, reading a script. She was reading a script. It wasn't yeah. her joke. Yeah. So they had to back her. But more importantly, it wasn't on the iPlayer last time I looked. Now, I don't know whether, the, you know, it's anything to do with it, but I was suspicious about that. And if this is going to... This kind of uproar is going to affect iPlayer, then I'll be furious. But so of course, it was absolutely fine. OK, and Taste Police number two. The Taste Police were out again this week uh, after the X Factor which you may remember, uh, uh, featured a, um, a barely clad uh, performance by Lady Gaga. Now, I, I was tempted to bring up a complaint just because I thought uh, it, it wasn't particularly well put together uh, and um, <laughs> I thought perhaps you should have rehearsed more. Um, but, yeah. uh, boy, what did you make of it? Well, the funny thing about this was that um, we've had the X Factor every, periodically gets attacked for scantily clad um, it's people. a tradition. It's a tradition. Rihanna. And this was actually one of the least scantily clad um, performances in that genre they've had for ages because, in fact, she was wearing a kind of full-on... Um, skin colour bodysuit thing kind of, with yeah. these kind of bits stuck on clamshells one of her shells fell off very very amusing I'm sure someone was sacked for that um, but it was fine I mean it was absolutely fine you didn't see much of her at all in reality because she wasn't exposing much of her body at all so it, was it a, sort of looked like she was it looked naked. like she was but she wasn't I mean, if you screwed your eyes up yeah but well, you know if you're that old you know, <laughs> I closed my eyes and, and you thought she was actually naked I'm afraid I have to say she wasn't and it was again absolutely fine can I just one more thing that I want to always want strikes me about these um, complaints about X Factor uh, body exposure thing that always end up being printed five pages of it in the Daily Mail while they complain, is that this goes back years. Pan's people 
on top of the pops and legs and co of course oh yes did much worse that was on seven o'clock seven thirty every week on bbc one the whole point of that group of female dancers was that how ridiculously sexy and erotic and all of that and scantily they were. There's a whole, you know, and no one, as far as I'm aware, no, apart from the fact that it was possibly sexist to have these women prancing around to the, to, to the tunes of, um, you know, terrible prog rock. You know, it was it was worse in terms of what was revealed by these women's bodies than you get now on TV. It's sort of it's sort of become where people go to to shock, isn't it? Yeah, Christina Aguilera did it, Rihanna did it. It's where if you want to make a splash, you go on X Factor. And finally, this week, uh, Anton Deck's Saturday Night Takeaway is now coming to a city near you. Well, possibly. Uh, the Geordie duo, um, contractually obliged to call them that, are going to take their ITV show um, on the road next year to a load of uh, arenas, including uh, the O2, inevitably, and Wembley Arena, where you can buy tickets uh, and watch it live as if you were watching it on TV, uh, except it will probably be on a much smaller, well, be on a much bigger screen, but the screen will be much further away. Sam, would you go and see uh, Saturday Night Takeaway and go up on stage and win a f- food processor or, or more? Yeah, go on. I will. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Anton Deck. I think they, I think they're they're, they're brilliant. They they uh, they speak to almost everyone. Um, I love them. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Thanks. You right. Just give me an idea. We'll come back and tell us review it for us next year. Uh, Boyd, do they, they need another uh, hit. Don't they need another sort of proper hit? You know, they've been don't. doing Britain's Got Talent and no. whatever for years. They do Britain's Got Talent. They do I'm yeah. a Celebrity and they do Saturday Night. Yeah. Saturday. So what? Three of the biggest entertainment shows on TV. Huge hits every year. And of course, I'm amazed they're doing it purely on the grounds of. Why do they need to? I mean, they've got you know. They, they want to be rock stars or comedians, don't they? I guess so. I, mean, I think they're quite kind of uh, they're quite hardworking guys. They're they? really hardworking. Yeah. No, they are hardworking. I, my my theory why they're doing it is that they don't get that much opportunity <clears throat> to interact with the public in, in these shows. You know, I'm a celebrity. They're standing there doing links. Obviously, even even on Britain's Got Talent, they're backstage pretty much most of the time. Take away more, but that's once a week. I think they quite like the idea of you know in, in meeting their public and kind of having and, and meeting all people. On on a, on the tour like this, so I th- I'm sure they'll love it. But that seems to be why they're doing it, rather than you know, the, obviously they don't need the money, they don't need a hit, as you put it at all. No, they're they're doing perfectly well. Aren't they so, working on a silent comedy? Is that right? Is that their sort they of are. Project? A friend of mine, I think, is working on that. That is the most intriguing thing. That, and I'll tell you the reason for that as well. The other thing they don't have is they want to have a show that can be people can collect in box sets, like Game of Thrones. They want have that thing where, for posterity, there's something they do that people will have forever. And they think most of the stuff they do is live or you know as live. It doesn't bear repetition. And, you know, kind of yeah, it doesn't bear that much repetition. So I think that's why they're doing going for this um, silent comedy thing. In a way, yeah. that might kind of work because they do have a sort of old-fashionedness yeah. about them, Mountain Day. We spent the last few minutes talking about television. Now it's time to turn our attention to what's on it. Boyd, what's been flicking your switch, if that's not an entirely inappropriate phrase? Does that make sense? In, 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 it sounds a bit rude, but it yeah, does it's fine. Yes. It's absolutely fine. Don't yeah. worry. My favourite show at the moment is Toast of London. Yeah, mine too. It's oh, crazy. there you go. It's two. I didn't know. I didn't know. We hadn't checked. Um, Matt Berry's um, absolutely Great man. hilarious, uh, properly laugh out loud and ridiculous uh, show in which he plays this furious actor, um, Stephen Toast. And it's just rare comedy where every single scene is funny. Um, it's very unpredictable, th- th- surreal things are thrown. There was a, my favourite scene in the last episode, which went out last Sunday, was a frisbee throwing scene where just he was in a park with some semi-naked Australian guys flying frisbee, and it was completely no reason for it to, there, to be there at all. But it was really funny the sight of him fully clad, fully clothed, playing with these muscly guys in shorts flying frisbee. It was hilarious, and things like that happen in it that you just don't get on other comics on TV. And, and the, the, the first episode when when, when you had a uh, a a young Asian woman being turned into Bruce Forsyth. Yes. It's that kind of surreal humour, as well as it has lots of other things. It has poems, yeah. it has all sorts of word plays. It's, it's, a, it's a take on acting. It's, yeah. it's brilliant. Yeah. 
Because I remember last remember Matt Barry from uh, he was in Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, wasn't he? Yeah, IT Crowd. Come on, IT Crowd. Yeah, I, oh, I wow, that passed me by that one. Yeah, you've not watched IT Crowd. Yeah. What's the wrong with you? I did watch Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. You've, you've got to watch more TV. This character is very similar to his character in, in the in the IT Crowd. Quite similar, but slight, if you've ever met an angry actor who feels that his career hasn't gone as far as it should, this character it will ring absolutely true. I can tell you, and I meet them all the time. Okay, excellent. Yeah. All right, and. Uh, so that is, that's on Channel 4, is that Friday night? Channel 4, Channel 4? Uh, Sunday, Sunday night. night. Sunday Sunday night. Late 10, on Sunday night. Yeah, late 10, 25, 35, something like that. It kind of needs to be quite late, that one. Yeah, there's a lot of swearing, a lot of language. Uh, right, uh, next up, Boyd. Go um, on, give us well, your next show. Should I give you something to look forward to next yes. week? Fresh Meat is back. Ah. Monday, Channel 4, 10 o'clock. This is the third series, and um, believe it or not, the first two series, there was their first year at university for that gang, and they were sh- sharing a flat together. This is the, they're now second years properly. And um, JP, Jack Whitehall's character, has bought the flat. He owns the flat where they were living in. It's just a great cast. Um, and it's one of those, it's an hour long. And people, so people describe it as comedy drama. It's actually, there's no, hardly any drama at all. It's comedy. It's an hour long comedy that works you, It doesn't well. matter if you, if you missed, missed, no. missed last, last week's episode. It's, yeah, absolutely. It, it yeah. works on its own. Yeah, you catch it. I think it's a brilliantly scripted show. I mean, yeah. I think. Um, Whitehall feels like kind of the man of the moment. He is, yeah, yeah. He's in a lot of really good stuff. Bad education, bad education was really funny. Yeah, was um, he's got his book out with his dad. His chat show coming soon with his dad as well. He is he is ubiquitous, but I think he's great. And I think, but this show is is script. You know, Sam Bain and Jesse Armstrong created it, created Peep Show. Yeah, and their scripts are fantastic. And this one, a bit of a gamble because I'm not entirely sure either of you have seen it. This is a, a new comedy which I think is f- produced by the writers of The Inbetweeners. It's like a female Inbetweeners boy. Yeah, Drifters, it's called. Yeah, it's on E4 next Thursday, I think. Or I want to watch Thursday. this. No, Wednesday maybe. Even. Um, it, I, I quite like it. Yeah, it is. It, the, the stars involved, Jessica Nappett created it, wrote it, stars in it. Um, if I've pronounced her name correctly. She's at quite a pain to point out that it's not the in-betweeners. It is different. So it's about a group of women who are in that period where they've graduated from university and they've been, on, they've been traveling and they haven't, they've come back and now they need to get a job. and they need to, They're in that weird, so it's in that drifting period in life, which I think w- works for men and women, but it's particularly focused on women. And it is... I think, Dark that, days. Yeah, the observation yeah. of what do you do when you when you finish university, and particularly now that you know jobs aren't jobs are pretty scarce, and that you end up doing things like dressing up as mobile phones and doing, you know, pers- appearances at, at kind of mobile phone shows and things like. That. I think it's a good observation that period of life, and I think it's a clever, funny show. So it's a lost generation. It's, it's a bit, yeah. Now there's a BBC One show started this week I haven't seen, so no spoilers. But the Escape Artist with uh, David Tennant, any good, sir? It's very good, yeah. Uh, there have been a few moans about it from the legal profession, I've noticed, saying that that would never happen in court. And I think, you know, you do have to take a, certain things with a, with, a, with a pinch of salt. There's a certain person. Well, it's been out. We can talk about it now, can't we? Yeah, we can. Yeah, spoil my enjoyment, but carry on. There's a, there's a, it will spoil your, your day. There's a, there's a certain person who gets represented by a certain person, and you just think that <laughs> would never happen. But um, if you go along with those things, um, it's an interesting thriller. It's about, um, it's about uh, justice, but it's about the people that justice affects as well. It's got a superb performance by Tennant, who's uh, really excellent in it. And it's creepy as hell. I mean, I, I've, I have problems having a bath since the first episode. <laughs> I should wait to find out why that is, yeah. And Sam, go on, give us a TV highlight from your room. Um from your next week's viewing. Now, I haven't watched an awful lot from next week. The, um, Gareth Malone is back with his um, oh, yeah. choir. It's, it's the corporate choir, so it's um, corporations coming up against each other. I'm slightly annoyed that, that they didn't come and ask us to, to, to take part here at the Guardian. They, they do have a choir here at the Guardian. I, I think they do. Guardian, Guardian Angels. Guardian Angels, yeah. Why, really? why are they not involved? Why, um, why are neither <laughs> of you in the, the, the Guardian Angels? I wonder. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, I wonder too. Yeah, it'll be. Um, <laughs> is Alan Rossbridge in the Guardian Angels? Does he I, play the piano? I think he, plays, he must accompany he them. Probably the plays his yeah. piano. Yeah. I think he does. Yeah. yeah. Come um, back at Christmas, boy. We'll, we'll double up. You can do this, and I we'll go and listen to the yeah, Angels. I want, I want to come and see the Guardian Angels. That's my main ambition. So obviously, that's the Guardian Angels missing is the main problem with the with the uh, yeah. choir. It'll be um, uplifting and tearful and. Very slightly irritating. <laughs> All I look and for in a TV show. Can we show? just point out, there's a, the New Radio Times has an amazing picture of Gareth Millet on the cover, dressed as Superman. It's yes. extraordinary. He's I'm just flashing that up to you, John. Yeah. They've it's, taken it's, a leaf out of Heat's book by getting, bit, getting people yeah. dressing up in silly costumes. Yeah. He's, he's the, obviously the other man at the moment. Jack Whitehall and Gareth Millet That's are right, the, yeah. the two stars. Absolutely. Right, I think that's it for this week. And my thanks to all this week's guests, who were, of course, uh, Sam Williston, Boyd Hilton, and Roy Greenslade. You can leave your thoughts on this week's show on our blog or our Facebook wall, wherever that is, or you can tweet me at John Plunkett149. Thank you very much. Good night. <laughs>